everyone, and welcome to Podcast by Committee as we have wrapped up week three and are moving on to week four. If you've been listening to Podcast by Committee, you probably realize a little bit uh, different of a voice coming to you as the host. Uh, I'm usually the producer, Michael Beller, Nando DeFino, our typical host, on vacation this week, that slacker. So I'm taking over for him in front of the mic. Uh, as well as behind it to be hosting this show today and our Thursday show with Chris Burke, who covers the Detroit Lions. Our guest today, one of the more intriguing teams in the league after the quarterback change in week three is Dan Duggan. He uh, covers the New York Giants for us here at The Athletic. Dan, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. It's kind of funny to hear this uh, described as one of the more intriguing teams in the league because I don't think that description would have fit uh, a week ago. No, I don't think it would have either, but uh, when you make a quarterback change, uh, especially this particular quarterback change, and Daniel Jones plays as well as he did in week one, I think that definitely fits the Giants, especially from a fantasy perspective. Uh, This is going to be a team that we're happy to dive into. Before we do that, really quick, you can follow Dan at D Duggan, that's D-U-G-G-A-N 21 on Twitter. Uh, He also does uh, his own podcast, the New York Football Podcast, Tim McMaster host, Dan as the analyst, so be sure to check that out. Uh, And if you're listening to this for free, uh, know that you can get 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic if you check out theathletic.com slash podcast by committee. So be sure to do all of that, and you can get access to all of our great podcasts and print coverage here at The Athletic. Uh, With that, Dan, let's dive in to Daniel Jones. I'm just going to leave it uh, real broad as we start out. Uh, How much of this is for real? Do you think it's one weekend, one game in? I know you can't draw any sweeping conclusions, but how much of what we saw in week uh, in his first start uh, is something that he can take forward with him? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously you said it's one start. And if you just look at the box score, if you're watching that game, you might say, oh, well, you know, maybe he had some receivers running wide open or um, you know, it was just fluky jump balls being thrown up and guys are coming down with it. But if you, if you watch the game, it didn't feel very fluky. And now, again, I'm not saying he's going to go out and, you know, throw for 330 yards and run for two touchdowns every week. Um, but he just looked very composed. It didn't, like I said, it didn't feel fluky. It felt like he was in control the whole time. Uh, he did a great job, uh, you know, navigating the pocket, you know, avoiding pressure, making, you know, throws downfield, which, you know, this offense had certainly been lacking with Eli in the last couple of years. Uh, and it's really been a continuation of what we saw in the preseason. So it's like, you know, I'm someone who kind of tempers expectations and tries not to get, you know, go overboard. And, you know, he looked pretty good in the spring. But I said, hey, it's, you know, it's, you know, shorts and T-shirts. And then he looked, you know, pretty good in camp, but not not unbelievable in camp, not day in and day out. He wasn't lighting it up in camp. Um, but then he gets in the preseason and obviously did light it up. But you still say, well, listen, he's going against second teamers. There's, you know, vanilla defensive schemes, all these things. You're just trying to, you know, check the expectations at every step. But now he did it against, you know, a Todd Bowles defense that brought the house. I mean, he didn't have Saquon Barkley for that second half comeback. So, I mean, they were pinning their ears back and and he still stood in there uh, and just, you know, made big throw after big throw, obviously had the, you know, composure to lead them on the game winning drive. So again, I'm not saying that this is Patrick Mahomes 2.0 when he's just going to take the league by storm, but there wasn't a lot to say that this is going to be tough for him to replicate, you know, at least you know, again, not every week, but it just didn't feel fluky. So, I mean, there'll be bad games, I'm sure, you know, pretty much every quarterback experiences that, but there was enough there to tell you that, you know, this kid might be for real. Going into that start last week, uh, all of us were talking about how uh, much of an athlete, or at least how much uh, improvement of an athlete he is over Eli Manning and how that was clearly going to change the offense. Uh, We saw that 
uh, really come to fruition. He had a couple of rushing touchdowns, including uh, the game winner for the Giants. Uh, you were there, obviously. Uh, what did you see with your eyes that uh, suggest what his athleticism is going to be able to do for this offense for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's so many stats have been thrown out since uh, since that start that my head's kind of swimming in them. But I think it was like Next Gen had a stat that he had you know two of the four fastest times you know by a running back this year. I think maybe you know Lamar Jackson might have had one, and I can't remember. Maybe Carla Murray had the other one. I'm not sure, but I mean, just to be in that class, you know, it tells you something. Uh, one of them was on his, his first touchdown run where uh, it was his own read and he kept it, and he beat a defensive back to the pylon. So I mean, it, it definitely showed um, that that he does have some legitimate speed. I mean, he only had four rushes, and, and like so, the two of them were the touchdowns, and um, you know, he tucked it a couple times when he scrambled. So it wasn't like they were running, you know, the the Panthers' offense or the, you know, the Ravens' offense, where there's a ton of designed quarterback runs. I think you might see, you know, maybe more of that as time goes on, because there were a lot of zone reads where he gave the ball, and and you know, you think maybe, it, especially, you know, obviously it's gonna be tough without Saquon in there, but when he comes back, you know, teams are gonna swarm to him. So the, I'm sure there'll be times where where he we heals onto it and turns the corner and can make some big plays, but. Um, it was even just more the sort of functional mobility where it's not so much that he's, you know, running for 30 yards. It's that he, you know, sidesteps a rusher, you know, gets around to the edge and, and, and makes a throw downfield. That's the stuff that again, back to the first point is more sustainable because I don't think they want him running the ball 12, 15 times a game. I mean, he took a couple of big shots on Sunday. They're going to have to find a way to, to limit that, I think going forward. But, um, definitely, you know, the, the athleticism kind of jumped out and, uh, and he showed it on a few big plays, like I said, on the, uh, the touchdown runs where, um, you know, something you wouldn't have seen with Eli, obviously. Yeah, a couple of big receiving days for Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram in that one, and definitely Jones' uh, ability to extend plays uh, bodes well for all the pass catchers in this offense. Uh, this is a fantasy podcast, so I do have to ask you uh, some fantasy-themed questions. Uh, Matthew Stafford was QB20 last year, 3,777 yards, 21 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. Can using that as a baseline, can Daniel Jones be a top 20 fantasy quarterback this year? Let me do some quick math here. So that's uh, <laughs> like 270 yards a game. I mean, I don't know. I do think that there's going to be a crash back to earth at some point. Like I said, just the fact that, you know, Saquon Barkley is going to be out for, you know, probably at minimum four weeks, maybe as many, many as eight. If teams are strictly game planning against a rookie quarterback, I don't care how good you are. You know, you obviously need weapons and, He's going to get Golden Tate back next week, and and, and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram are nice pieces. Um, but you know, I, again, I, I think there will be some some rough days. So I mean, I don't know if he's going to you know, average 270 yards. Um, I think the p- interceptions. Uh, you know, I don't think he'll you know yeah, no picks on Sunday. I don't think that'll continue. He threw one ball that definitely should have been intercepted. Um, but you know, especially when you're talking fantasy perspective, he is going to give you something with the legs, and, and that's something in the red zone, especially where. And you could be like one of those Josh Allen type games, or maybe he doesn't. The throwing stats aren't great, but you add in a rushing touchdown, all of a sudden, you know, the the overall points looks looks a little better. So um, I think you know maybe that's a, a reasonable, you know, top twenty ish. Um, you know, I've I've kind of underestimated the kid all the way, so you know, don't throw this back at me when he's got you know four thousand yards and thirty <laughs> touchdowns at the end of the season. Um, but just again, trying to temper expectations, and again, without without Saquon. Um, I think it's going to be a, a bit of a struggle at times. I mean, they got some tough games coming up against Vikings, Patriots. So um, there, there are probably going to be a couple games where uh, he doesn't put up very big numbers. When this team is fully formed, and I guess we can talk about it more, um, you know, leaving Saquon out of it just because we know that's a month or two months down the road. But when they do get tape back, so you're talking about him having Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram. How do you think Pat Shermer deploys all these guys? What does this offense look like when Jones has those three pass catchers all at his disposal? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think it'll look a lot like what you saw on Sunday. Um, you just maybe add, you know, Golden Tate instead of, uh, you know, a Benny Fowler or Russell Shepard. So that should be a, you know, a pretty significant upgrade. But um, he's not a guy who's going to really change the complexion of the offense because, you know, most of his work is done underneath and yards after the catch. So it's not like you're bringing back a guy who's, you know, going to be, you know, running goal balls all day and, you know, 60-yard passes are going to really enter the offense. Um, if anything, he's just going to make the offense a little more efficient um you know should help on like third downs and third and six you can throw it to him and you know he'll make a guy miss and, and get the first down that type of thing but you know I think obviously you saw uh you know Shepard Engram certainly benefited from Jones you know coming into the lineup so you would think that the, the arrow is kind of pointing up for those two guys but as far as just the overall offense I don't think um it'll change a lot I mean again <laughs> keep going back to it though take Saquon Barkley at any offense and that's going to be a, a pretty big hole to fill and you know, Wayne Gallman is, you know, fine. He's serviceable, but he's a long way from, you know, what Saquon brings. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how much that does impact things because, you know, now you're going to have defensive coordinators solely focused on really stopping your rookie quarterback rather than having to account for Saquon, which, you know, you presumably would have opened things up for Jones. Yeah, let's talk about that hole. We've, uh, I think we've avoided it for as long as we possibly can. The good feelings are gone. Everyone's happy about Daniel Jones. But let's get to the bad from that win over the Buccaneers, the Saquon Barkley injury, as we've said. High ankle sprain a month or two, 48 weeks, the uh, the, the Giants are calling it right now. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Really, uh, I guess the first thing we need to nail down is how does this offense change? And not just from a, an effectiveness standpoint, but what do you do to make up for a loss of a guy like Saquon Barkley. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I'm, I'm a little, you know, skeptical of, of where things go from here because I, I don't know. I mean, what, what can you really you, – you can't replace him. Um, mm-hmm. You can't, you know, drastically change your offense. I mean, it kind of is what it is. So you're going to have just Wayne Gallman taking those handoffs instead of Saquon Barkley. So obviously you would assume that, um, you know, there's going to be a decline there. I mean, the, the biggest thing with Gallman, he might get the, you know, four and five tough yards up the middle – he does not have the game-breaking ability that Saquon does where, you know, any any given moment he's liable to, you know, break one for 75 yards and, uh, and, and change the complexion of a game. But, yeah, I, I don't know that schematically they're going to change much. I mean, Saquon was obviously um, more of a receiving threat than, than Gallman, but they really didn't use him as much as a receiver as I really thought they should have anyways in the first three games. He really wasn't, you know, moving all over the formation, lining up wide, lining up in the slot. Um, they kind of treated him like a basic running back, which you know I think was a mistake, and, and maybe at some point they'll sort of unlock his his full skill set when he comes back. But so again, I just don't think it's going to look that much different. I think just probably the production will will dip because you're going from a guy like Saquon to a guy like Gallman. Um, yeah. So what does Wayne Gallman do in a primary role? I mean, what do you think his realistic uh, floor and ceiling look like uh, taking over as the primary guy? Yeah, I mean, I think he's just you know a league average back. I mean, he had a bigger role. Um, you know, his rookie year and was, you know, was solid, but certainly didn't light the world on fire. And, you know, they went out and took Saquon as the number two pick. So obviously they didn't, they didn't <laughs> right. feel like he was, you know, the future or anything like that. So, um, you know, I think that he'll, like I said, he'll get you the tough, you know, four yards in the middle and, you know, may, may move the chains a little bit, but really doesn't have that, that big play threat. I mean, his rookie year, you know, he averaged four, 4.3 yards a carry. So, I mean, he had, you know, he was solid, um, but just, you know, wasn't a big play threat at all. I think his long run was looking at was like 24 yards. So I mean, he's just not a not a home run threat by, by any stretch. But um, yeah, I think the bigger void even will be on third downs because again, Saquon is such a threat uh, out of the backfield as a receiver, and that's probably Gallman's biggest weakness. He's really not a, a pass catcher. It's not, it's not really in his skill set. So I mean, as of right now, they have Gallman 
and Eli Penny, who's a converted running back, but he's a fullback. And that's it on their 53-man roster with, with Saquon being out. So they're certainly going to need to make an addition. And I think they're probably going to need to find a guy who's maybe more of a, a third-down guy because, you know, Saquon can play all three downs. I think Gollum is more of a first- and second-down guy. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they do end up filling that, that void because I, I don't think you can just bring in, you know, another running back. I think it maybe needs to be a guy with a little bit more of a receiving skill set. Hey, you're anticipating my very next question. Always love that in a guest. Uh, yeah, so you and I are sitting here recording this. It's Tuesday morning. It's uh, 9.45 a.m. Eastern time. The Giants have yet to make a move. Obviously, we should be watching out for a move. Is this someone who you think is going to take away a lot of potential volume from Wayne Gallman? Volume is the name of the game in fantasy. Is he about to lose some uh, in the next day or two? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's why it'll be interesting to see who they sign. Because, I mean, they have a guy like, you know, John Hilleman, who's an undrafted rookie on the practice squad. If they're bringing him up, you know, he's really just a depth piece and really there in case probably Gallman gets hurt. If they go out and sign, you know, Jay Ajay or, or CJ Anderson, someone like that, you might see more of a timeshare. And if that guy plays better, then, you know, you might take a bigger role. So uh, it's really hard to forecast that. I mean, again, we'll probably get an answer here, you know, shortly after this gets posted. So it might not uh, <laughs> have, a, have a lot of a shelf life anyways. But I think that's the big question. Do they just kind of plug in a young back to, to have another body or do they go make a signing because they know Saquon's going to be out for a, an extended period and they feel like they need someone who's a little more established so I think um, that'll be sort of to be determined and, and that'll really set the course for what to expect from Gallman because um, if they bring in a guy like CJ Anderson or someone like that uh, that, that would cut into his, uh, his playing time presumably. Uh, you mentioned right off the top that the, the Giants played the, the second half of the win over the Buccaneers without Saquon Barkley. Uh, is that a good uh, idea of what this offense is going to be without him? I mean, is that a good idea of what how much uh, Shermer is going to put into Daniel Jones' hands? I mean, is this really his offense in Barkley's absence? I mean, it kind of has to be. Um, I don't know that that game is, is necessarily something you can just extrapolate out, and that's how it's going to look because you got to keep in mind the situation. You know, they're down 18 so you have to throw a ton. Um, you know, Tampa Bay, you know, had to change their plan on the fly. Like, listen, you'd rather change your plan to not account for Saquon Barkley. But nonetheless, they were they went in with a plan to to stop Saquon. They actually did an unbelievable job at it. He had 10 yards on his eight carries. So um, they had to kind of adjust on the fly. So, I, you know, I don't think that'll necessarily be the blueprint both teams will follow going forward. I mean, the Giants are going to want more balance and the opponents are going to have a week to game plan, um, you know, knowing that Saquon's not going to be in the lineup. So. Uh, I think you got a taste of it, and you saw what Jones can carry the team, you know, if needed. Um, but I don't know that that is necessarily uh, sort of a preview of what we're going to see here for the next four, six, eight weeks. All right, before we move on for this running back position, I'm going to ask you to put on uh, your fantasy football hat for a second. Do you play fantasy football? I do. Okay, great. So this should be uh, this should be easy for you then. Um, Wayne Gallman and in, uh, in the fantasy community, Wayne Gallman is looked at right now as pretty much the top waiver target. Uh, again, it's Tuesday morning. Uh, it's uh, it's waiver day. He's looked at as the top waiver guy to go after this week. Do we have that diagnosed right? Is he going to have enough of a role uh, regardless of what the Giants do for him to be a primary guy to go after on the waiver wire? Well, I mean, I think I'd wait until this afternoon because, again, it depends who they sign. Because, again, if they sign a veteran, I think not only is that guy going to get reps, it probably is a sign that they don't necessarily, you know, look at Gallman as a workhorse. They feel like they need to uh, lighten his load. If they do promote a guy from the practice squad, you probably take a little more confidence in Gallman. So I would definitely kind of hold off. I think usually the waivers don't process till you know, in the middle of the night or something, at least my league, that's right. how it works. So I would hold off. And I do have to – I mean – I know it's probably thin, and if you're looking to, you know, replace Saquon, if you had him on your team, you know, you know, my condolences. But um, I don't think Wayne Gallman is going to come in and tear it up. I mean, I, I really don't. So 
Um, you, hopefully you have a better option on your bench or, um, but I mean, if you're at this point in the season and you're kind of getting desperate, I mean, he's probably going to be the number one back for an offense that showed some life on Sunday. So you could probably do a lot worse, but and I don't think it's a system like where you, you take Saquon out, you plug Wayne Gallman in and you get the same production by any stretch. So, um, I would just, you know, I would, I would kind of tread carefully there, at least, you know, keep your expectations in check. And like I said, see who they sign. Cause that'll probably be a good tip to, to see what they're expecting out of Gallman. Yeah, hopefully for uh, for those of us in the fantasy community, they do it uh, today at some point before waivers process rather than tomorrow after uh, we've already all made our claims. Uh, and okay. I think they will because yeah, okay. you know they practice tomorrow. So if they you know if they're signing CJ Anderson or whoever, they need to get him on a flight, get him here. So then you know yeah. I think we'll know. I would think by Tuesday afternoon whether it's uh, someone in house or someone from off the street. All right, there we go. So something to uh, really watch out for uh, for fantasy owners over the next uh, what ten hours or so. Uh, see who uh, see who the Giants maybe bring in to uh, to help out Wayne Goldman and the backfield in Saquon's absence. Let's uh, move on to the pass catchers here. We talked about Golden Tate uh, returning from suspension. Uh, that comes next week, week five. Tate makes his uh, Giants debut. Once he's back, you've got him, you've got Sterling Shepard, you've got Evan Ingram. I, I don't think, at least as I look at it as an outsider, I don't see a guy who is the clear number one receiver or pass catcher in this offense. Uh, is that right, or is there someone who you think stands out as the number one go-to guy for Daniel Jones? No, I mean, it's certainly early to know if like Jones is going to develop a, a favorite target, but I think, no, that's that's an accurate assessment. I think it's almost by design. I, I, you know, Obviously, you know they had a number one guy, and they sent him to Cleveland, um so I think the plan was you have guys like Shepard and Tate who are pretty similar players Engram is you know sort of that dynamic option at tight end so you know it depends on the matchups it depends on you know the game plan that that particular week I mean I think they're all going to get their targets and you know I think uh I was I wasn't so sure if if uh Jones would raise them up as much as he did because I still felt like um you know he's a rookie and and it might take some time but you know they Engram and, and Shepard had two of their better games of their careers so um, that's certainly a promising sign. Um, Angram is obviously off to a really good start this season, so I would, I would definitely think he's uh, probably in store for for a big season as long as he stays healthy. That's sort of always the thing with him. You got to knock on wood. Um, and then when Tate comes back, I, I don't think that's going to really you know bite into anybody's production. Like I said, he's just going to take the place of the you know the Benny Fowlers and the Cody Latimers and that type of thing. So that's that's an upgrade. That's a good thing for the offense. But um, yeah, I don't think there's going to be one guy head and shoulders like you know they're throwing 15 targets to him and five to everybody else I think it'll be pretty evenly spread out and again I think that's you know what they want to do on this offense yeah using this last game as uh, sort of our baseline uh, Evan Ingram had eight targets he got six of them for 113 yards and a touchdown Sterling Shepard had nine uh, that was tops on the team he got seven of them for 100 yards and a touchdown so again like you said two of their better games uh, of their respective careers uh, and then uh, Darius Slayton had five targets. Russell Shepard had five targets. Benny Fowler had two targets. Uh, so like, you're saying that that Golden Tate steps right in. I mean, so those combined 12 targets, are we expecting something like, in a game like this at least, mm -hmm. like eight of those gold to Golden Tate and Evan Ingram still gets his eight and Sterling Shepard gets his nine and we're just not worried about Darius Slayton and Benny Fowler any longer? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's realistic. I, I actually do think Slayton is sort of, you know, if you're in like a 14-team league or something crazy deep, um, you know, he – he looked really good in the spring and then had a hamstring injury all summer and really only played one preseason game. Even in that preseason game, he made a nice deep catch. Um, he's the one guy who has speed. I mean, he had, what, three catches for like 80 yards on Sunday. So he's the one guy who can kind of, you know, get downfield. He's a you know, 4 3 40 guy. Um, so he's the kind of sneaky guy that, 
it, you know, he's going to definitely probably be feast or famine. I'm sure there'll be games where he has like two catches for 90 yards, and then, you know, the next game he has one catch for six yards. I mean, I, I wouldn't certainly rely on him, but even just more in terms of a football perspective than a fantasy perspective, you have Shepard and you have uh, Tate and you have Engram even who are so, you know, they're going to work, do most of their work underneath and, and, you know, catch and run type thing. Slayton is the one guy who, you know, can take the top off the defense. So, um, you know, he's a guy who I think um, is going to be important to this offense going forward because that was his debut. He missed the first two games with that hamstring injury. And uh, it was pretty telling to me that he was on the field um, in that two-minute drill at the end of the game, which, you know, to put a rookie in that situation who hasn't even played, that, that said a lot about how they view him. So uh, I think he's kind of a sneaky guy to keep an eye on. But, um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, Tate is just going to take the targets, like I said, from the Russell Shepherds and the Benny Fowlers. So um, I don't think it's going to bite into – Angram and Shepard you know, so much and then obviously you know they'll see how teams defend them but I feel like guys like Shepard and Tate are sort of like you know target proof I mean you can't game plan away like two yard passes and <laughs> right. all the little quick stuff they're gonna do so, I mean they're gonna get their targets it really just depends if they you know they break one or if they are able to get downfield once in a while but they're gonna get a pretty heavy volume I would think is there more volume in the passing game going forward when Saquon's out uh, yeah I mean that, that's certainly a, a logical ex, you know expectation you think maybe might be trailing in some games because the defense is, you know, that didn't get any better because of Daniel Jones' uh, insertion into the lineup. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to probably be having a ton of success on the ground, at least not week in and week out. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's definitely fair to expect, um, you know, a lot of passing, uh, like I said, especially if they're trailing in games, which, which certainly could be the case. Uh, how much time did Jones get with these guys uh, during training camp? Obviously, he hasn't gotten a ton uh, with them during the regular season, but was he able to work with Tate, Shepard, Ingram no, I mean, uh, in that, training camp what, at all? No, I mean, that, that's really what's interesting. Um, I would say Sunday was the first time in a competitive setting, whether I'm saying preseason game, obviously regular season game, but even practice, you know, ones versus ones in camp, probably the first time he completed a pass to Saquon Barkley or Sterling Shepard, uh, he threw, you know, a couple passes to Engram in garbage time uh, in week one. But so I would, you know, I wouldn't even really count that. I mean, those guys were with the first team, obviously, all summer. And Jones was with the second team all summer. So he really, the only time he threw to Tate was um, the fourth preseason game because they knew Tate was going to be out with the suspension. So they didn't hold him out like they did most of the starters. Um, so, I mean, that was pretty impressive. I mean, granted, you know, they're throwing throughout practice and in individual periods and, and stuff like that. But in terms of, you know, 11 on 11, 7 on 7, um, you know, Jones really didn't get any reps with those guys. So it certainly wasn't uh, an issue there as far as developing chemistry. I mean, listen, if you're a quarterback, it's not that hard to get up to speed with guys like Engram and Barkley <laughs> and Shepard when you've been throwing to twos all summer. I mean, it, and this guy's been throwing to receivers at Duke who are probably working on Wall Street right now. So <laughs> I'm sure he was uh, happy to have to make that adjustment on the fly. But it, it was an interesting sort of footnote going into the game. He really didn't have a lot of uh, time to develop chemistry with those guys. So do we have an idea of how his his skill set fits with theirs, or is this something we're going to sort of be learning on the fly? Well, no, I mean, I think you saw it on Sunday. I think one of the things that's kind of always stood out to me about Jones is, you know, he throws what they call a runner's ball where, um, you know, it's hitting guys in, the str- in stride, you know, on the numbers. They don't have to reach back for it. They don't have to jump for it, you know, all that type of thing. And with these guys being yards after catch guys, I think that's a really valuable uh, trait to have. I mean, that was really not Eli's strength. I mean, him and – Jones might complete the same pass, but Eli's, you know, seven yard out might be on the, you know, the back shoulder and the guy's to spin around and he can't turn up field. Whereas, you know, Jones is hitting the guy leading him and he can turn up the sideline like, you know, Ingram did. So um, I, I think that, you know, so far it looks like his skill set complements these guys quite well, because again, they don't have that Odell really, unless Darius Slayton really develops, they don't have that guy who's going to be a consistent deep threat. 
So you need to be accurate underneath, and you need to let these guys make plays after the catch, and, and that's where uh, you know him throwing these you know accurate passes is really going to complement their skill sets pretty well, I think. It's just one game, as we said earlier, but we are obviously – I feel like this is right, feeling better about this offense with Daniel Jones, even without Saquon Barkley, than we were with Eli Manning. Do you think that's right? Oh, yeah. I mean, undoubtedly. I mean, um, you know, I, we all knew the change was coming. And then when you make it in week three, to me, that was a tip-off that, you know, they're not doing it just to get Daniel Jones experience for, you know, the future. You make a change that early, you think he helps, he's the better option right now. And, and that, you know, it took a little bit of guts from Pat Shermer, but listen, he's, you know, got a 15 and 36 career record going into Sunday's game. He can't mess around and, and worry about Eli's feelings and think about the future. He needed to win some games. So he, he sees Daniel Jones as his type of quarterback. Obviously, you know, they drafted him because he fit what they wanted to do. So to pull the trigger when he did, that definitely told you he felt like right now, today, he's the better option. And, you know, after one game, it's hard to argue at that point. Definitely hard to argue with that. And again, this is going to be a, a very interesting team to watch going forward. I think Daniel Jones and all these pass catchers and whatever happens at the running back position. Uh, I don't think we were uh, excited about this team from a fantasy perspective as recently as uh, 10 days ago, but we <laughs> definitely are now uh, with the quarterback change, even though would love to see what Daniel Jones could do with a fully healthy Saquon. We're going to have to wait uh, a little bit to see that happen. Uh, Dan, we uh, typically wrap up podcast by committee with uh, a getting to know segment. We don't want to just bring on the beat writers and ply you for information and then send you on your merry way. We want to uh, at least give you the uh, the illusion that we uh, that we care about you as a person as well. So uh, <laughs> so uh, we uh, could just 10 quick hitting questions. Uh, that sound good to you? Sure. Um, all right. Uh, first question. Uh, what's your favorite band? Uh, I got to go Zach Brown band seen them live a few times and, and they're just uh yeah they're, they're my favorite by far i'd say all right nice uh this is a related question uh if uh, you were a, a major league baseball pitcher or relief pitcher what would be your walk-up song huh see like that's tough because i don't want to go like country i don't think that quite gets to like the vibe <laughs> you know you want coming out to you know like you're thinking of enter sandman with mario Rivera or something i don't know if like uh chicken fried is gonna have that same vibe so um that song uh, i'm the man i guess that's kind of a hard one to uh to top when you're coming into uh you know so you close a game that, that that one's probably gonna be the pick all right how about your uh favorite non-nfl team to root for well i'm a boston guy you know living in the new york market so I, you know i'll, I'll say uh -oh. I, I checked my fandom at the door long ago anyways but since I've so far removed now i've been down down here for like six years and been on the uh the giants beat for like four I've allowed just just the Celtics are the one team I've allowed to kind of come back in. And, you know, I can't root for the Patriots and I kind of lost interest <laughs> in baseball, but I'm um, a basketball guy at heart. So when the Celtics get going in the spring and in the playoffs, uh, it, it tends to creep back in a little bit. Yeah, excited for the uh, NBA season to uh, get going in about a month here also. Um, one of Nando's favorite questions uh, here is to ask uh, the beat writer if someone had five hours to spend in your city what would you tell them to do? Uh, now, no offense to you know Philip Heilman uh, in Jacksonville or Nikki Jabvala in Denver, uh, who have been <laughs> on and been great guests, but a little bit harder of a question to answer uh, with Jacksonville or Denver versus New York. So I'm going to change it to if you had one day to spend in New York City, what would you tell someone to do? See, I'd almost argue it's harder in New York City because, I mean, I've, I've lived here for seven years and you can't even get to everything. So, I mean, you could you can go the real touristy route. I mean, all those things, you know, the Statue of Liberty, the Empire State Building, whatever. I mean, you can't, you know, there's a reason why people flock to do all those things. I mean, certainly I would avoid Times Square at all costs. That's, that's I mean, you don't want to do that. 
Um, but I mean, I, I lived, I've moved just out of the city now, but when I lived there, I was more just, I like to just, you know, get out on a nice day. The weather's been great right now. And, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, kind of go around central park and, uh, and hang out there or, you know, walk along the Hudson river, some, some great views there. I mean, that was sort of, sort of my favorite thing to do in the city. It wasn't so much, uh, really the touristy things mm-hmm. or, or really the cultural things. I was just kind of being outside on a nice day in the city. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a fun place to people watch and there's just kind of so much to see and do that that, that was sort of my uh, my thing on like a Saturday afternoon in the spring or whatever. Uh, related question. What's your favorite bar in New York City? Huh. I have to confess, first of all, that I'm just totally washed up and I have a 16-month-old. So, I mean, I don't get out very much anymore. <laughs> sure. um, but when I lived in the city, I lived in Murray Hill, which is a neighborhood on the east side. And uh, I wouldn't say I had like one favorite bar, but you could just kind of walk up and down 3rd Avenue and it's just a lot of sort of Irish bars or just those like dark dingy bars that you know have a you know have a game on and some like you know 90s music playing stuff like that um so it's not one I could pick but just any of those types of spots you're gonna have a good time you're gonna you know um certainly uh you know have a lot of uh uh alcohol options I guess and and uh get your dollar slice of pizza at the end of the night so uh that that was probably my uh my 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 favorite didn't have one spot just kind of you know whatever whatever was available on third avenue could could do the trick yeah, I've uh, I've never lived in New York City myself, but anyone in our industry has obviously been to New York quite a bit. Uh, once you've been in the in the job for a while, and uh, my favorite place to go always uh, McSorley's. Any place where Abraham oh, yeah, Lincoln that's... had a beer is a great place for me. Yeah, that's a classic for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. What's the uh, best thing that you cook? Hmm, best is probably uh, needs to be put in quotes, but uh, I'm simple. So like a you know steak and rice, like you know. And one night a week, maybe I'll make dinner for the family, try and do my part and uh, keep it simple. Nothing, nothing too crazy. And um, you can't go wrong with steak and rice. Yeah. Um, all right. We got f- uh, four more here really quick. Uh, your favorite road city to go to. Yeah, it's funny. I'm thinking about this and, you know, the, the, you know, there's been a lot of great ones. I've been, you know, my three plus years on the beat, but one I haven't been to as far as uh, covering a game there, but just one of my favorite cities was Nashville. And it kind of goes back, I guess, to the Zach Brown thing. <laughs> um, actually went there for my bachelor party and, and had a blast. So uh, at some point here, hopefully the Giants will we'll get down there. And um, I've heard it's a fun place just to go um, to cover a game. I'm sure a lot of Giants fans would probably uh, make that trip mm-hmm. if they do play down there in, in the near future. But uh, yeah, I just had a lot of fun in Nashville. So I'll, I'll put that at the top of my list. Who's the first player, if you remember, that you ever drafted in a fantasy league? Oh, boy. So I have to go way back. I mean, I, I, I wasn't like a fantasy junkie, but I can remember getting into it when I was like 10 or 12 or something. Mm-hmm. And, and this was back when, like, you know, some the commissioner had to, like, tally everything up by hand sure. and, you know, wasn't wasn't done on a website. And I, for some reason, it's, it's ironic that, you know, I ended up covering the Giants. I remember having Rodney Hampton. He must have been, like, my first-round pick in, like, you know, 1996 or whatever. I mean, I don't even remember when, when that would have been. But I do remember having him on my team. And uh, it's, like, the only guy I remember. And I, I think I played that year. And then, we, you know, whoever was a commissioner didn't want to do it anymore. So we, I probably didn't play again for 10 years until the computers caught up. But I do distinctly remember having Rodney Hampton uh, on my squad. It's crazy how far it's come since then. I started playing right around the same time, too. Uh, it's just remarkable how far the industry has come in the last 20 years. Um, what's uh, your, your favorite TV show of the prestige TV era? I'm thinking like going back to like starting with The Sopranos about. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, I mean, for me, it's The Wire. I mean, Sopranos is probably a, a, you know, a close second or Breaking Bad, one of those shows. But The Wire to me was just, um, you know, by far the, the, my favorite show ever. I know it's sort of a popular answer but 
Uh, yeah, to me, that's 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 the best show I've ever seen. Popular answer because it's a very good answer, I would say. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, last question, one Nando always ends with, so I'll give my uh, hat tip to our usual host and end with the same one. Uh, take yourself back to when you were 15 years old. Uh, who's your celebrity crush? <laughs> oh, boy. So that's see, 15 years old. So that's like the late 90s. Uh, I got to say probably Jennifer Love Hewitt. She was, I was a <laughs> yeah. big fan when I was in high school still am. But, uh, yes, I think that that would have to be the pick there. Yeah. I was uh late nineties also. So, uh, totally understand the, uh, the Jennifer Love Hewitt call there. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, Dan Duggan, thank you so much for joining us here on podcast by committee. Uh, really great stuff on the giants. Uh, again, you can get Dan on Twitter at D Duggan, D U G G A N 21. Definitely check out, especially if you're a Giants fan, but really if you're just a football fan, the New York Football Podcast with Dan and Tim McMaster. And again, 40% off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash podcast by committee. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Hope you had a good time. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. It was a lot of fun. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, Again, Podcast by Committee will be back with you uh, this Thursday with Chris Burke of the Detroit Lions, the surprisingly undefeated Detroit Lions. Until then, uh, good luck with your waiver claims. Be sure to watch out for who the uh, Giants end up bringing in to uh, help out Wayne Gallman and uh, make your waiver claims accordingly. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. 